Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Father, we need your help. God, we need uh, your grace. Um, Our joy gets stolen. It gets smashed. It gets taken so easily. Uh, Lord, we leak. We, we, we have a hard time staying joyful. And Lord, our, our eyes wander to ourselves and to others and circumstances and trials. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn to, to look at what you have done for us and what you will do for us. And Lord, that that would produce joy. God, make us joyful today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you uh, believe that the Apostle Paul may be a little bit off of his rocker. You know, he was stoned several times. And so some of you may think that maybe that last rock uh, just kind of gets him sometimes and that he uh, slips into delusion. Because why would Paul say rejoice in the Lord always, right? Always. Some of you have probably already taken your pen and crossed out always, thinking surely that is a misprint. Surely the Bible distributor got that wrong. Surely Paul does not expect that in all circumstances, stomach flu, (coughs) allergy season, um, financial crisis, um, relationship problems, cancer diagnosis. Surely Paul does not mean that we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. But what I'm here to tell you today is that's not a mistake. Take. Uh, that wasn't uh, uh, that wasn't Paul being silly. It wasn't Paul being delusional. They didn't serve him a steak in the jail, and he got so happy about it that he wore it always, and later he regretted it. Um, but rather, that's exactly what the Bible means. And we know that's exactly what the Bible means a couple different reasons. Number one, joy is a continual biblical theme. That's the first blank in your outline. Joy is a continual biblical theme, okay? We know that Paul wasn't mistaken here because 14 times in the book of Philippians alone, these short four chapters, Paul says 14 times either to be joyful or to rejoice or that he is joyful or that he is rejoicing. Okay. So throughout this letter, Paul keeps bringing us back to having joy in the Lord. Okay. Now it's not just the apostle Paul and it's not just the book of Philippians. If we go other places in the Bible, we find that this is everywhere in the scriptures, in the book of Psalms. And, and I am just giving you a couple here. There's actually hundreds. Okay. But let me give you a couple here, Psalm chapter five, um, verse 11. It says, all, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 40, verse 16 says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Psalm chapter 43, verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm chapter 68, 
Verse 3, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. And a verse that I try to recite to my kids every morning, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, do I need to prove to you anymore that the Bible is serious about this? Okay, this, this is a reality throughout all the Bible. God's people are to have joy in him. Okay, and in fact, the Bible Bible even says there are consequences for not having joy in him. Deuteronomy chapter 28, as God speaks to Israel, he says in verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies. God, God almost says there, man, if, if, you, if you can't be happy with all I've given, if after all I've dumped in your lap, all the good things I've done for you, if you're not happy with that, let me take you out from that and give you to your enemies and see if that is better, okay? And so the Bible is very serious, it's very constant, it's very continual about telling us that we ought to rejoice in the Lord. Now, the second blank there on your outline is that we need to notice that joy is a command of God, okay? Lots of commands in the Bible, right? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet, right? There's lots of commands, honor your father and mother, okay? In the same vein, this is a command. The Bible is telling us here that this is not an effortless byproduct. The Bible is not saying, hey, try to, try to be rich and try to be healthy and try to, you know, not eat a bunch of french fries so your health is good and then you can be joyful, right? Because everything's good in your life. It's not saying that at all. It is commanding us. It is saying, you, right now, if you're in Christ, if you've got the Holy Spirit, if you're new in Jesus, then you go get your joy. Have you ever looked at this as a command? That the Bible actually commands this. I mean, if we take that serious, then whenever you're in your little gripey funk, you know, whenever you got your blue Eeyore haze, you know, kind of over you and you're just sharp and grumpy and growling around, you know what you ought to do? You ought to stop and say, whoa, family. I'm going to go outside and find my joy. I'll be back in 10 minutes, all right? I'm going to go out. I'm going to get it. I'm going to come back in, and I'm going to obey the command of the Lord that I'm to rejoice, okay? I thought about just telling you right now, everybody rejoice, just right now. I mean, Bible commands it, so do it. Do it. But you're doing just what I thought you'd do. So I wasn't going to do that. I didn't do that in the other services. I thought I had hope for this one. But no, I mean, come on. We, the Bible tells you you need to rejoice in the Lord. It is a conscious decision. It is an act of your mind and of your heart and of your will. God is not calling us to some kind of fake joy. God's not calling us just to plaster on a, a fake smile and, and say some fake words. The Bible is calling us to respond to what God has done in a joyful way. Now, the big question that I know that you want to ask that I want to ask is how right that's the next section of your outline how are we to rejoice always well before we handle that let's look at what is joy I think we need a definition of joy now I would say joy is happiness that's just the way I would describe it joy is happiness but be having been here for 17 years I know that that irritates some of you greatly okay because some of you Bible scholars every time I say that you come up to me afterward and you're like it's not happiness it's different than happiness you know and, and it's something else and, and maybe it is maybe, I mean I mean how do we define happy everybody probably defines that differently in my mind the two are, are the same. I don't see a difference really in words in the scripture. Uh, but, but here's what I'm afraid of. Those of you who are anti-happy and pro-joy, I'm afraid that what you mean by that is that joy is way down deep, like way down. 
Like nobody's ever even seen it in you, but it's there, right? I mean, that, that's what I'm afraid people mean when they say, well, it's not happening. It's joy is deep, you know, joy, I'm joyful, you know what I mean? No, that's, that, if that's what you got, I don't want that. Man, I don't think the Bible wants that. I mean, the Bible's talking about, did you read the Psalms there? Clap your hands, shout for joy. That seems to be an outward expression, does it not? It seems to be something visible that you can see in people's lives. But I know some of you are very sticklers for that. So let me give you some others. You probably won't like these any better. But joy is an emotional, a mental, and a willful response to good things. Joy is an abiding sense of well-being. Here's my personal favorite. I just kind of came up with this one this weekend. I'm really happy about it. I like it. Joy is a relentless personal celebration. You like that? It's a relentless personal celebration. You know when you meet somebody that's joyful, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing almost a little party going on inside of them, aren't you? I mean, when they're joyful, and that's what you see, right? They're glad to see. They're glad to have the conversation. They're glad they ran into you. I mean, they're, they're just, there's, there's a kind of a little celebration going on inside of them. I, I like that definition of joy. Now back to the how. Okay, so if that's joy, how do we get it? First blank there, Christian joy is rooted in unmovable spiritual realities, okay? Christian joy is rooted in unmovable spiritual realities. Okay, joy is an emotional decision, okay? And it is a decision to decide that certain things are reality. Do you notice there that it is, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, now if you are here last week, we talked about this phrase in the Lord. Because in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, stand firm in the Lord. And then in chapter 2, you got these two ladies who can't get along. And Paul tells them, you guys need to agree in the Lord. And now in verse 4, he's telling us, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, in the Lord is in your position in Christ. Okay, in, in, in your connection to Jesus as a believer, as someone who's repentant of their sins put their faith in Christ, you are joined to Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in you. All the benefits of Christ have been pushed into your life. You have all the riches of eternity that Jesus has bought for you with his own blood. You are in Christ. You're in the Lord. And Paul is saying, rejoice in that, okay? In the Lord, in your connection to Jesus Christ, in what God will do in your, in, in your lives. Now listen, We do not have the ability to control our circumstances. And if your mind, joy comes when everything is right, when everything is just like you want it. You're not sick. You're you're, you're not under pressure. Nobody wants anything from you. You don't have any conflicts in your life. You don't have any worries. You have no anxiety. Everything is just perfect. If that's your idea of joy, this this, this effortless thing that hits you twice in your life, you know, or five times or ten, I don't know how many, you know, that's a real poor, poor way to look at joy. We have no control over that stuff, okay? We just don't have any control control of that. You know what we do have control of? What we look at, okay? You have control what you direct your mind and your heart to, okay? You have the ability to force your mind, to force your heart, to force your will to embrace certain spiritual truths, certain spiritual realities. You even have the capacity that when bad things happen, you can force your mind to see those bad things Through the lens of the scriptures, okay? Through the lens of what God has said he's going to do. We have that capacity. In fact, right now, you're probably exercising that capacity. Right now, your mind probably keeps going somewhere else, doesn't it, right? Roast, football, you know, recreation, chores, laundry, whatever, right? And what do you do? Well, some of you just leave it there. 
Yeah, that's not very nice, all right? Others of you, you force it back, right? You move it back. You realize, I'm thinking about laundry. What's Paul say here, right? You push your mind back. Okay, we have that capacity. God's given us that capacity. And so what the Bible is saying when it says rejoice in the Lord is you need to rejoice in the spiritual realities that make up the riches of Jesus Christ. You need to move your mind back there. You need, you, you, and, and listen, there is abundant reason to rejoice in Christ, all right? I, I had a hard time with this section because I thought, what am I going to put here? I mean, I need to list some of these realities for you, but which ones do I pick? Because literally from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is full of these, okay? Every week we come back here to this very same spot and I talk for 45 minutes about the spiritual realities. I've been doing that for 17 years. So how in the world do we condense it? I don't know. So just let me give you some examples here, okay? So when it says force your mind back to, we need to force our mind back to things like, let's say Jesus is the bread of life, okay? That's a a pretty well-known one, right? John 6, Jesus says, look, I am the bread of life. If you hunger, if you thirst, if you're needy, come to me. I will satisfy you. I will give you what you need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We're going to hit this in a couple of weeks. Paul gives a promise here. He says, my God, this is from the scriptures, from God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, when you're in need, your joy tends to go away, right? Your joy tends to push out. Okay, so what's the Bible saying? It's saying force your mind back to the reality that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that you have him, that you have partaken of him, that God will supply every need of yours, that God will take care of you. He always has and he always will. Force your mind back to that. How about that God is a helper? Does the Bible support that in any way? One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let me tell you, when you are stranded along the highway and you don't know how you're going to get back to town and you don't know what you're going to do with your car and you're calling all your friends and you finally get a hold of one and he says, I'll be right there. I got a tow truck. I'm going to take care of you. There's an immediate sense of well-being, is there not? Whoo, all right, okay. Well, in the same way, can you not force your mind back to the fact that God is a helper? God is the helper, okay. He tells us, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I'll get you what you need. I'm behind you. God tells us that that is a spiritual reality. How about when bad things already happen? You know, I mean, it's not that they're going to happen or they might happen. They did, man. They happened. Well, then, man, we bring our mind back to Romans 8, 28, where God says, I'm going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. Okay. And so God says, look, in my infinite power and infinite wisdom and infinite resources, I'm going to work every bad thing together for good. If you will love me, if you'll put your trust, force your mind back to that spiritual reality. How about the spiritual reality that Jesus forgives? Okay. That as far as the East is from the West, he will take away our transgressions. How about the spiritual reality? that Jesus is patient, that he's gracious. Gracious. How about the reality that he is our friend? John 16 and 17 tells us, 15, 16 and 17 tells us he is a friend like no other. How about the spiritual reality that his power will, will, will be in us and at work in us through the Holy Spirit? How about the spiritual reality that Psalm 16 11 says to be in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? How about the spiritual reality that we can be righteous with Christ's righteousness? How about the spiritual reality that he will pull us through death with his resurrection power to a new and eternal life. How about the spiritual reality that Jesus is truth, that he's protector. All of those things are rock solid true. And here's what I'm asking. Are you looking at them? Are you looking at them? 
How about God's promises? One of the great things to do as you read through your Bible is read with a notebook. I would encourage that. And just start writing down the promises of God that you, that you, that you come across. So if you're reading through 1 Peter, let's say, and you're starting out in chapter 1, and, and there you go, right away. Verse 4 tells us that we've been caused to be born again to a living hope. And that hope in verse 4 says to an inheritance. You're an inheritor, okay? To an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is a promise of God. Or how about in chapter 5? I like this one. First Peter, verse 5 and 6 says, Close yourself, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then the next verse says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's a promise. I have used that. I've wore that out. Okay? In my own heart, that thing's got grooved edges because I have grabbed onto it so much, all right? Whenever I'm getting chewed out, whenever I'm getting attacked, whenever I'm getting nipped on a little bit, you know, here's what I do, man. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to be humble right here because if I'm humble, God promises me his grace is on the way. His riches, his power, his resources, his help coming into my life. I want that. Turn my mind there. Let's say you're reading through Matthew. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 6, 33, um, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Folks, they're everywhere. How about you're reading the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. I mean, it's everywhere, everywhere in the scripture, in these bombardment of spiritual realities. Let me ask you this question. What is joy produced? about being connected to Jesus? And that's, that's a question we, we could stay here for a year and not answer. So let me give you one you can answer. What is not joy producing about Jesus? What's not? Where is he deficient? Where does he not measure up? Where will he let you down every time? Where, where? Nowhere. Let me give you one you can answer. What's deficient? What's, what's, what's not joy giving? What's not joy producing about Jason? <sighs> Go ask Emma. She'll tell you. I'm limited. I fail. I had a buddy entrusted me with a job this weekend. Wasn't for lack of effort. Wasn't for lack of, of trying. But I, I just, just blew it. Fail. Ever happened to you? You ever just, yeah, man, I didn't, I didn't come through. That's not very joy-producing. I don't know all the answers. Somebody asked me the other day, what are we going to do about Fifth Street? What are we going to do about our expansion? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I, if I knew, I'd tell you. I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know why I don't know. I don't know why God hasn't told me. I don't, but I don't know. What else is not joy-producing about me? Well, there's a whole list. I, got, I get selfish. I'm predisposed to self-pity. That, that really bugs me about myself. I'm prone to compare myself to others. I have a weakness for food. I could be a professional glutton if, if that were a, if you got paid for that or a sport. I mean, there's all, I mean, Emma could go on and on. Just ask her after service. She will tell you there is a thousand things, a million things that are, is not joy producing about me. Okay. And so if you're looking to me for your joy, if you're looking for some, to somebody else for your joy, you're going to be in, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. The question is, where are you looking I mean, I visited a museum. I mean, I and Addie did this last weekend. and had all these Egyptian artifacts from the time of Joseph. <laughs> the time of Moses was incredible. 
Okay, and there's this, they had this little god and uh, this little deity carved out of stone. And uh, his face was here. And he also had an identical face here. Okay, we called him Two-Faced. I don't know what his name really was, but... <laughs> But he could look that way. and that, Actually, he couldn't look anyway. He was a rock. But, you know, I mean, hypothetically, okay, that's not you. Okay? You don't. So I think sometimes we think we can do that. Sometimes we think, well, I can, I can look to my money and look to my job. I'm looking to Jesus. Oh, are you looking to Jesus for your joy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you're really looking at your money. You're looking at things. You're looking at. What, do you, what, what is in your bucket? Everybody's got a bucket that they stare into. They sit on their lap. They carry it around. What, what's in there? What's in there? Let me tell you, if, if, if what's in your bucket is you, if you're a navel gazer, and your joy is coming from, am I a success? What do people think of me? Do I look strong? Do I look good in this shirt? You know? Am I beautiful? Am I, am I important? Do people notice me? Am I significant? If that's where you're getting your happiness from, Mine just left today, okay? Now, you're probably better than me. You know, some of you guys are successful and, you know, you've made your mark and everything. You, maybe you can pull it off for a couple of weeks. But if that's what's in your bucket, you're not going to be very joyful. What will you put other people in there? You know, this person's going to make, this person's my best BFF, best friend, right? They're going to make, they're going to make me happy. Right, they're gonna they're gonna make me joy. Or, or you got married, you know, and you stood up there and you looked into her eyes and or his eyes, and you thought, oh, it's all gonna be different now, you know, it's all gonna be nothing but glorious bliss because this person's gonna make me happy. Listen, listen, people aren't what you're gonna want them to be. They're not gonna make you feel like you're what you want them to make you feel. If that's what's in your bucket, you're gonna be disappointed. It's gonna last. They're not. They're going to be gone someday. They're going to die. I mean, you can't get your joy from other people. Some people put their joy in other things, you know. You know, purchasing stuff, you know the best time to purchase something. The, the most joy you get from purchasing something is right before you have it. You know, have you ever noticed that? Like when you're like researching it on the internet and man, you're just like joy just flowing, you know. You got that in your bucket and it's the anticipation of when you get it. You know, and man, it's just on. Then you first get it and it's, oh, it's, man, it's outstanding. And then it begins to disappoint. It begins to break and it begins to rust and begins to fade and it begins to not be the new generation. And there's other things that are better. And pretty soon you drive around on Saturday morning and there, there, all kinds of stuff laid out in yards everywhere. People trying to give it to you for a quarter. It's called garage sales. And they are evidence that things will not satisfy your soul. They will not bring you joy. What are you looking at? What's in your bucket? You know what some people put in their bucket? Artificial reality. Why are, we, why are we inclined toward drugs and alcohol? You know why? Because when, when we drink or when we shoot up or smoke or whatever, you know what we do? All of a sudden, we look in the mirror and we're like, you're awesome, man. You're better than I remember you were, you know? And you are so fun. I'm so funny. You know, everything I say is just hilarious, you know? And, and, and I'm a success. And man, I've really arrived. I've got all these friends. And, and then the drugs and alcohol wear off. And it is much worse than you ever could have imagined, right? It's not just drugs and alcohol. We do that with social media. I'm going to hire Pastor Chris. And he's going he's gonna to Photoshop some guy that's got like six-pack abs and, you know, rippling muscles on my body. 
And then all my classmates are going to begin to message me. And, man, you look great, you know. And, wow, what have you done, you know. And, hey, are you coming to the reunion? Hey, no, what? No, uh-uh. You know, this is what you're seeing of me right here. This, this is my artificial reality. I, I'm going to show you what I want to show you. What's in your bucket? What, what, you got it on your lap. Just look down. And what, what's in there? What's in your bucket? <clears throat> you know the really amazing thing? I don't know why people do this, but they do it. Lots of people do it. They sit down with their bucket. I, 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 I do not know why. I, I don't know why, but here's, here's what tons of people do. They get their bucket. They put their failures in there. And they put their, their guilt in there. Somebody hurt me. Somebody let me down. Somebody was not my friend. Somebody disappointed me. I thought I'd be a different place in my life. I thought I'd have more money. I thought my job would be more satisfying. I was supposed to get a raise. I was supposed to get a promotion. And they just put all that in there. And they begin to just, just move. And they, why? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Why would we do that? But we do that. I counsel people every, every week. And they've got their bucket full of the worst junk in their life. And they're just, they're, they're just looking at it. That's where their focus is. Why don't I have joy, Pastor? Why, don't, why am I depressed? Why am I miserable? Why, why, why would you look at that stuff? And here's what they're going to answer. Because it's real. It's real, Pastor. You, may, you want me to think it's not real? I really got fired. I really lost my job. I really don't have money. I really have cancer. Okay. That's real. I agree. But if you're a Christian, are you forgiven of your sins? Is that real? If you're a Christian, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that real? If you're a Christian, then you get the righteousness of Christ. Is that real? Well, if you're a Christian, then God is working in your life to make you new. Is that real? If you're a Christian, then you get the new heavens and the new earth. You get your inheritance. If you're a Christian, you've got the resource and the power of the Holy Spirit that you can ask, and he's going to change you. He's going to work in you. He's going to work all things. Is that, are those things real? Are they real? Well, yeah, aren't they real? Aren't they as real or more real than everything else in the bucket? I would say more real. So why don't we put that in our bucket? Why don't we put that in our bucket? Why don't we stare at that stuff? Ladies, scrapbook it. You like to do it, you know? Put that in your bucket and scrapbook it, you know? Put a little picture behind it. I'm righteous in Christ. Put a little 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 dealings around it, flowery stuff. Go to Hobby Lobby, spend your money. Scrapbook your spiritual reality, all right? Why don't you look through that? Why don't we stare at that? Why don't we look at that? Gives a new reason why you ought to pray. What do you do when you pray? Aren't you engaging spiritual realities? Aren't you grabbing onto them? What do you do when you memorize scripture? Those of you who can't memorize scripture, but if I ask you what the part number for a well site pipe on the bottom of it is, you would know that. It's amazing how that works. Why why we memorize scripture? Aren't I putting that in my bucket? Aren't I making that accessible? We got to fight for joy. Next point. Christian joy is linked to a Christian's care for one another. Now, why even talk about this? It just seems a little uncharacteristic. Well, 
I am because of verse 5. I just I thought about just leaving this out because there's plenty. Actually, I, I'm not even going to scratch the surface of joy in the Bible here. But, but verse 5 just kind of haunted me because there, it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Okay, so you got verse 2 and 3. You got this broken relationship between these two women. And Paul's telling them to agree in the Lord. And then in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And then in verse 5, before he moves on, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word reasonableness, is, 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 it could be translated gentleness, softness, generousness, graciousness, humility, kind of a softness, kind of a, a sweet reasonableness, okay? It's a, it's a sweet dis- disposition. It's a generous disposition. In other words, some people have an edge. You know people that have an edge to them? Man, they're always, uh, uh, you're afraid to kind of be around them. You're afraid to upset them. You're afraid to say too much because, bam, they're going to be right there. Okay, this is the opposite of that. This is, this is to have a softness about you. You know why? Why would Paul just throw this in? He would throw this in here because angry people are not joyful people. Okay? Do you understand that? You can't, if, if that's what you got in your bucket, then you're going to be in trouble, okay? Because angry people are not joyful people. And here's a newsflash, all right? If you're expecting people in the world to get less irritating and to be less uh, abrasive and less inconsiderate and less, less incompetent, you better move to another planet, okay? I'm convinced if you go to Mars, then you'll only have one person to deal with there, you, and maybe you can pull that off. But if you're going to live here, you're going to have a really hard time getting away from people that are going are gonna to cause problems in your life. And so they're not changing. The question is, can you change, Okay. And, and, and really what's at stake here is your joy. What's at stake is your joy. When we are obedient and have a reasonableness with people, a gentleness with their faults, a gentleness with their weaknesses, for Christ's sake, because he's near, we find the celebration starts back up in our life. Paul was a guy that invested in all kinds of people, was inconvenienced by all kinds of people, was disappointed by all kinds of people. But in chapter 2, verse 17, listen to what he says. Even if I am to be poured out, this is Philippians 2, 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul says, I am literally being poured out. I'm giving my life to you. I'm investing in you. I'm caring for you. I'm praying for you. I'm, 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 getting, I'm being put out for your benefit. Okay, but look, listen how he ends it. I am glad and rejoice with you all. I mean, we go back to chapter 1, verse 25. I just remembered this. Paul says, convinced of this. He talks about if he lives or dies. He says, if I live, here's how it's going to be. I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. I mean, Paul says, man, I, I rejoice at being able to invest in your life. Being able to give to you, being able to be patient with you and gracious with you. Why? Because Paul knew the spiritual reality that people are sinners and the spiritual reality that God will fill us up as we pour ourselves out. Man, when you got that in your bucket, when you got in your bucket that, you know what? God is going to give me power to love people. God's going to give me power to be patient with people. God's going to give me power to be forbearing with people. God's going to give me power to minister to people. I got that in my bucket and I'm going to rejoice and be glad at what Christ has done and will do and is doing in my life. Next point, why? Why should we rejoice always? I would say this. It's the only response that matches Christ's character and work. It is the only response that matches Jesus' character and Jesus' work. I, I can't imagine how inappropriate it is for us not to rejoice. Let's say Haddon and I 
We mowed some lawns this summer. I helped and hadn't got all the money. It was not a good business deal for me. I hope to change that next year. What if we really got to mowing? I mean, I'm talking like 200 yards a week, you know, in our spare time. And we made a bunch of money. And with that money, man, we love Emma. I love my wife. He loves his mom. And so we went out just just cuz. Not birthday, not just cuz. We went out. We bought her a, a brand new orange Dodge Charger. She likes those muscle cars. All she's ever had is a van or a moped. But we buy her, buy her a new muscle car, orange Dodge Charger. And then we go ahead and book a two-week vacation to Grand Cayman, one of her favorite places. First week's just me and her. Second week's the kids come. We just snorkel for two weeks looking at all the reefs in Grand Cayman. And then we get her a new refrigerator, one that doesn't, the water doesn't pool up in the bottom of it and the ice maker works. And we get her that new dishwasher she's been wanting, that, that Bosch stainless steel that we had over in the Wheat Ridge house and we had to leave it when we sold it and now she's got a junker one she doesn't like. And we just, we just, we blindfold her and we bring her out and ta-da! Here it is and there's Dodge charger and refrigerator and then grand game and all that. it's all right there and she looks at it and she says i'm gonna go lay down i've got a headache <laughs> now i'm wishing i'd not mowed any yards i could have done some other things that's not does that bother you makes me mad at her right now even though it hadn't happened <laughs> How big is the gift Jesus has given you? Smaller than a dishwasher? What, your forgiveness, your eternal life, your righteousness in Christ, your deliverance from hell, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your daily provision. Is that, that, is that, how far is that below the Dodge Charger, friends? How inappropriate is it for us to mope around Staring at our bucket, whining and complaining and grumbling. Now, if you don't have Jesus, you should be sad. You should. If you don't, if you don't have Christ, if you don't have the cross, if you've not repented and embraced him, you should be sad. You should be so sad that it drives you to put your faith in him and to be born again. But if you've got him, man, how, how insulting is it? To not live a life of joy. Next blank there. Joy is an effective guard against temptation. You know what I've found? Is that the more discontent, the more despairing we are, the more wide open we are for temptation. That's when we sin. That's when we, that's when we cross the line. That's when we get angry and say things we shouldn't. That's when we, when we look at Internet sites, we shouldn't. That's when we, that's when we sin. You, have you ever thought about Genesis 3? Adam and Eve. Perfect environment. Fellowship with God. Naked and not ashamed. I mean, everything is exactly right, okay? That's what Eve's got in her bucket. She's got paradise in her bucket. And what does Satan do? What's his strategy? He comes along, he looks in her bucket, and he says, Really? You got a bunch of junk, Eve. I don't know if you know this, but God is keeping back the good stuff from you. He's giving you all the, all the junk. He's giving you all the garbage. Eve, I can't believe that God would leave all that out. Man, he's not very good. If he didn't give you what you really needed, 
All of a sudden, Eve's always been full of joy. Looking at what God's given. Now she looks down at it and she's like, yeah, that's not very good. What else you got? What do you got for me? I got this. When you are not joyful in the Lord, you are not very strong to battle temptation. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you've been a Christian very long, you can testify that is exactly true. When you have joy, you're strong, aren't you? You're strong to obey. You're strong to, to love people. You're strong to minister. You're strong to, to take care of your family. You're strong when you've got joy. When you don't have joy, you're pretty weak. Everything's hard, isn't it? Everything right, everything good, obeying God's commands. It's all difficult when there's no joy of the Lord. Final blank there. I want to discuss this. What about when always, rejoice in the Lord, always is actually in our life seldom. And what I'm getting at here is, is depression a sin? Is long-term despair, is that a sin? How should we look at that? Well, first of all, we should be careful, okay? Because here's the reality. Jesus wept. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul, the spirit of life itself. The psalmist, all through the psalms, was despairing. Really heartbreaking and sad things happen in life. There's much in our world to grieve and lament about. And in Romans 12.15, it tells us to weep with those who weep. So, there are real times when things are rough, right? Physically, sometimes chemically. Sometimes there's, people are just wired. So it's, it's a struggle. <clears throat> so when you find yourself in one of those seasons, I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily means you're in sin. But here, here's the deal. You, you can't stay there. You're not meant to stay there. You're not meant to, to live there. Okay? God wants you to fight. He wants you to fight to get back to joy in the Lord. Okay? And my, my illustration at first was going to be a rubber band. I was going to say, you know, sometimes trials and struggles, they knock us. And, and then we got to snap back to, to join the Lord. But I thought, you know, that's a poor illustration. Because those of you who have been depressed, it's not snap back, is it? It's like crawl and climb and... You, you're on an incline like this and it's muddy and you're slippery and, and it's everything you got to get to the top, isn't it? To get to where you need to be. But it's a fight. How do we fight? We fight by remembering, by pushing our mind to the spiritual certainties of the scripture. <clears throat> I wish we had more time this morning to do this, but all through the Psalms, you see examples of people doing exactly this. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 43 is not a great example, but it's really short, okay? So you're welcome for picking it. All right, here we go. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. What's in this bucket? He's got people that are after him, doesn't he? He's got people that are slandering and hurting For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the the oppression of the enemy? Okay, now look what he begins to do. He's fighting now. He's fighting. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the liar, oh God, my God. Not liar like someone who tells lies, but liar like a stringed instrument. Psalm 59 is another example. Psalm 63. Psalm 64. Some, some of you, if you've got people that have been unjust with you, they've been cruel, they've been unfair with you. Psalm 64 starts out, Hear my voice, O God, and my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows. You ever been shot at by people? What's he do? He begins to fight. He begins to fight. God, this is who you are. God, this is what you'll do. And then down by verse 10, the end of the psalm, here's what he says. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. You, you, have, you have a whole, what is there, 150 psalms? Man, you want to know how to fight? Look at the psalms. They're, they're real life examples of people who, who got, their, got a whole bunch of junk dumped in their bucket. And, and what do they do? They're fighting. They're fighting to get back to the spiritual realities of who God is, what God will do, what he promises, so that they might regain their joy in the Lord. It's a really important thing, believer, for you to be happy in Christ. That's a big deal. We need to get there.